Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing. Welcome to Mythmakers. Mythmakers is the podcast for fantasy fans and fantasy creatives brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. My name is Julia Golding. I'm an author, but also director of the centre. And today I have a very special guest. We're joined by Andrew Head, who lives in Australia. Andrew is a great friend of the centre. He's done several of our courses and I've interviewed him before about audio versions. One of the many gifts that Andrew brings to us is that he's looking at this from the point of view of someone who is blind. So obviously audio versions of books are incredibly important to him. And I regard him as something as my guru, my expert on all things fantasy. So hello, Andrew. Hello, and thank you for that lovely introduction. (laughs) Over the, um, the last few months, there's been a big event in... Tolkien's 50th year since he passed away. And that is the uh, audio version of The Silmarillion has just come out, read by Andy Serkis. This follows on to his previous contributions to the Tolkien audiobooks, where he read The Hobbit, which I think started as a lockdown project. Uh, And then he went on to read the entirety of Lord of the Rings. Now he's turned his attention to the Silmarillion, and we're going to give our thoughts on that production. But first of all, before we do that, for people who haven't read the Silmarillion and think, oh, maybe rather than sit down and read it, I'll try it as an audio. Andrew, what are they going to get if they've come from Lord of the Rings and they turn to the Silmarillion? What are they going to get as a listening experience? What's in it, basically? Well, the Silmarillion is basically a prequel, if you will, to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and it details a vast scope of the history uh, of Middle-earth, particularly focusing on the First Age and the Second Ages of Middle-earth. Of course, everything in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings takes place in the Third Age. The other yeah. thing, of course, to mention is The Silmarillion is not... It's it's like a set of working papers that Tolkien had, and it was published yeah. posthumously, edited by his son. So we're getting something which has another person's hand upon it, which is Christopher Tolkien. Yes. It's broken down yeah. into a number of parts. So the first part of it, there's a couple of creation narratives, and then there's the big chunk which gives the title to the book, which is 
the story of these jewels, the Silmarils, which is the first age of of Middle Earth or of the world. Uh, and then there's a second age, which for those of you who are following and watch the Rings of Power series, that's set in the second age. That is about, well, one of the main narratives is what happens to the land of Numenor, which is the land where Aragorn's ancestors come from, and also the making of the Rings of Power. And then the third age is the one, as you, as Andrew just said, where you've got the story of the Lord of the Rings right at the end of that age. Okay, so we're looking at a long history book, basically. And what would you say mm. you find in listening to the style of it? It's very... It's certainly the way it's written. It's um, because, uh, as you say, a lot of tales and papers were cobbled together or brought together by Christopher Tolkien, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's son. So it, it reads more like a, a history history book rather than a novel. Uh, but you do get, you know, it still has stories as history books do, but they're condensed some of them some of the details are a bit condensed uh and some of them are some of the details are, are going to a bit more depth some of the stories i should say go into a bit more depth that's so a, a bit of an interesting mixed bag of uh styles here yeah i think perhaps it's a bit similar if you're looking for an equivalent dare i say it's a bit like reading mm. the bible you've got different kinds of styles oh in yeah stories yeah and the conceit mm. is that it's written by the elves. So whereas the Lord of the Rings is written by Bilbo mm. and Frodo and a little bit by Sam, that's the conceit there. So it's seen by the the ordinary folk of the Shire. The Silmarillion is written by, let's imagine, some elvish historian sitting in a <laughs> ivory elven tower somewhere. So mm. it means that they are looking at things from a sort of great height, they're not down amongst the weeds and walking through the countryside in the way that uh, you get the lovely sort of physical details in Lord of the Rings of actually the experience of the landscape. Though, though there are exceptions to that. There are some tales um, where you do actually feel the presence of the landscape much more acutely. So mm. as, as you were saying, Andrew, some of the details are there, but it's not... It's not an adventure story in the same way. It's like sitting down, a bit like sitting down to say, read the Bible. And if you're a Tolkien fan, you probably will feel inspired to do that. But if you're not a Tolkien fan, you'll probably think, my goodness, this is strange. <laughs> this is a strange mm. experience. Okay, so uh, we've actually done podcasts on the Silmarillion. Um, so if you want to sort of go into more detail about this, do dip back into our earlier episodes. Anyway, um, Andrew, let's get down to the nitty gritty of why we are talking today. And that is, what's your feeling? Because I know that you and I have both listened to the Andy Circus reading of it. Give me your top three takeaways from the experience of listening to it. Well, I think the Andy Circus's reading itself, the voices that he does, uh, especially he certainly got away with voices. <laughs> uh, Glaurong in particular, uh, I was quite uh, shocked by. <laughs> but is um, Glaurong the um, the dragon? The drag, yes, yes, the large uh, dragon that terrorizes uh, Nargothrond and Turin. 
yeah, his voice was quite uh, definitely made you think of a, a large lizard-like creature, very uh, hissing but also deep and very menacing. <laughs> Pulled that off very well. Certainly, the, uh, the you know the way he the tone that he uh, Andy Circus reads reads this particular book in really lends itself to the ILVish or the high writing style that it's, that it's set in. It cer- he certainly paints the picture of it being a, a large sweeping history, shall we say? And one one very important one very important thing uh, I got from reading it, uh, especially in a um, from an shall I say an accessibility point of view, <laughs> um, it starts off with Andy Circus reading the preface that Christopher Tolkien wrote uh, and and the foreword. And then it goes on to do part of a letter that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote to a friend explaining the plot outline of the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings, uh, because for those that don't know, Tolkien wanted to publish the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings as one large book called The Saga of the Jewels and the Rings. Uh, but the publisher you know, realised that the Lord of the Rings itself was going to be a long enough, large enough task. So he persuaded Tolkien to focus on the the Lord of the Rings first and uh, do the Silmarillion later. Yeah, Uh, that's that's a really good point. Just as in the Andy Serkis version of the Lord of the Rings, he reads some of the appendices, which you don't tend to get Mm. other versions. I also yeah. really valued that. I've actually got um, I've got a first edition of the Silmarillion, so I don't have in my edition those other two pieces, which must have been now regularly ah. um, within the actual Silmarillion books you buy. The second I've got the one with the first forward. Mm. There's been a later forward plus this letter, and I agree with you that that letter is very helpful indeed. It's you know it's like a crib, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Was it Cliff Notes? Cliff Notes to the Silmarillion. And I really enjoyed listening to that as well. My my top mm. three, that was one of them. The other is I really thought he did a good job on the pronunciation. Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah, because that's the thing which I presumably he's had experts next to him. But there was there seemed to be, you know, maybe there's some super experts out there who will say, oh, no, he got the intonation wrong or the emphasis wrong. But actually, I felt he managed this quite arcane language really well. And then the other thing... Yeah, it's it, certainly it, in uh, Old English, isn't it? Or more more Old English style. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, he's like the, the Venerable Bede kind of style, isn't it? Yeah. The chronicles. Mm. And then the other thing, which I think picks up on your point about the voice for the dragon is that when there were chances to dramatize it, he really went for it. Mm. And, and it could showed you how it could be in a, in a way that there's this, this dramatic, dramatic story that just needs a bit more writing um, to make it mm. turn it from this chronicle to a novel. And I really enjoyed that. Like you, when he was doing the talking dog, Huon and, and others, you know, there was oh, yeah. little moments where I really, really enjoyed it. And I find him very easy to listen to. I'm a bit brainwashed mm. in the same way as when my kids were growing up. I got very used to listening to Stephen Fry chuntering away on the Harry Potter sort of um, saga mm. that they all listened to at different stages. Uh, it sort of went into the bones after a while. 
I mm. got the feeling that listening to Andy Serkis read The Hobbit, then The Lord of the Rings, and then The Silmarillion is going to have the same effect. I'm going to start hearing mm. it in my head whenever I read the book, <laughs> which isn't, you know, it's not a bad voice to have. So I think he did an excellent job of the actual performance, the actual reading of it. So, Andrew, but when we've talked about these versions before, you and I have both agreed that we really liked the earlier version, which I think was only from maybe 2015. It's not that old. The Martin Shaw version, reading of the Silmarillion. Do you have any words to say on that? I mean, if someone's already got the Martin Shaw version, do they need to Mm. go out and get this one? What would they be missing out if they didn't get this one? Well, they're certainly missing out on the extra information you get in the foreword and the yeah. preface and the Tolkien letter because Martin Shaw version doesn't have it. So if you're, you know, especially from a blind person's point of view, uh, I was quite, I did not expect those three little beginning parts. So I was quite chuffed to, uh, and it's always interesting to to read more on Christopher Tolkien's point of view and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's point of view. And Christopher Tolkien in particular provides good insight into how and why he wanted to publish the Silmarillion after his father passed away. I think that the Martin Shaw is very, you know, his voice is lovely. It's a very, another Mm. voice, not that dissimilar to Andy Serkis. It's resonant. Mm. uh, It's got a sense of gravity about it. I would say that he has a couple of little mannerisms which Andy Serkis has avoided. Um, Tolkien mm. rather overuses the word therefore. And when it comes up in yeah. the text, and um, Martin Shaw lands rather heavily on that. Therefore, therefore. And I once I noticed oh, yeah. that, I got a little bit, mm, okay. And Andy Serkis doesn't do that. I was listening out for it. <laughs> so mm. I think that possibly the Andy Serkis narration has that, Edge just as a narratorial voice, he he gives it more variety. Mm. He pushes the drama a bit further. Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer, or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class? Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace, starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing. I wouldn't have thought there was a huge amount of difference between the narrations in the chapters where there are less dramatic episodes, where it's more of an account of the ages. They're just two different Mm. voices. But I would say if you're going to sort of do a toss up between the two, I would now go, if Mm. I was starting afresh, I'd now go for the Andy Circus one. Yes, I think I would too. But it's always a bit of a, I guess it depends on your mood because I do still quite like Martin Shaw's version. He has a, a great voice as well, as you say. So, yeah, next next reading, next time reading round, I'm, I'm, 
unsure which one I will do. <laughs> well, there's nothing um, stopping us. There's nothing stopping us shuffling between the two. Um, no, to, yeah, you know, for a bit of variety, have one voice read one chapter mm. and one voice read another. Uh, I can see an advantage to doing that. Oh, that's a that's a good idea. <laughs> the other thing I like about the Martin Shaw version is you get music in that one, sort of at, at the at the end of each of the main sub stories. Oh yes, you're right. Um, Although I love yes, it. you're it, right. There's great music. It's mm, like a sort of. Adds, um, it picks up the feeling of the, the the incoming tide, and you know it's got a really atmosphere. Yes, you're right. They should have done that with the Andy Circus one. Yeah, I think yeah. it's the same publisher, so they missed a trick there. Oh, yeah, they, they lovely they... punctuation marks. Hmm. Yeah, it really adds adds a bit to the atmosphere and uh, epicness of the tale. Yeah, they don't seem to do music as much in audiobooks these uh, these days. Well, didn't they also? This is us being quite, uh, you know. Uh, not many people will have noticed this, but I think the old mm. um, Lord of the Rings reading by, oh, I've forgotten his name, Robert In- Ingalls, yes. also has yes. music in at the end of each book. It does, yes. Yeah. Bring back the yeah. music. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about our favourite parts. We can put aside, you know, the two narrators. Well done both for mm. sitting there and reading quite a difficult book. Mm. What is your favourite part of the Silmarillion? If you were just going to dip back in and listen to one or two chapters, what would you go for? Oh, I've, I've stumped you there, haven't I? Yes, that's a difficult one. Well, you said a, a couple, so it would have to be Beren and Luthien, and then uh, it would have to be the Calabeth or the downfall of Numenor. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So Beren and Luthien mm. are like the precursor to Aragorn and Arwen. They are a man and an elf who fall in love. And Tolkien yeah. identified very much with Beren and Luthien. In fact, on his gravestone, he and his wife are known as Beren and Luthien. So it was his heart story. And I completely agree. I think it's two chapters. One of in mm. the Andy Circus, it's extremely well read as well. And it has the talking dog. Mm. So what's not 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 to like? There's the folkloric. Yeah. Uh, structure of the hero being set an impossible task. He has to go and get one of the Silmarils from the hand of uh, Melkor, who's like the biggest baddie of them all in his, it's very much like one of those fairy tales. He sets off and Luthien, who is actually really the hero of the tale, let's face it, (laughs) she goes with Mm. him. Hooray. One of the, what's the word? Are we allowed to say kick-ass heroines of Tolkien? Doesn't feel very Tolkien. Uh, feisty, maybe that's a bit more talking. Um, I'm not sure I'd go for the Numenor section, but I would go, mm-hmm. though it is fascinating. I actually like the poetry of the language of the very beginning, which is the Ina, I can never say this, Ina Lindelay. Yeah, that is the setting up of the world. I love the image of the music and how it's described. It, this does feel very biblical or actually Miltonic mm. in the way it's described. And I just think it is such, the language is so beautiful. I wouldn't mind if it was Martin Shaw or Andy Circus. both of them read it very well. So perhaps on my mm. either or, I'll do Martin Shaw for that and then I'll do Berin and Luthien with uh, Andy Circus, and then everybody's happy. So that's yeah. my pick. And then my last question to you is, which of these stories 
would you most like to have seen written up into a full-length book? You told me before we started this call that you've actually read some of the later curated, longer-length versions of these stories and you have views on them. I'd like to share us those views and then tell us what you would like to have seen written up in the same way as a sort of Lord of the Rings-style book. Yes, well, you've got uh, The Children of Hurin, which is a full-length standalone novel. Uh, it's had, you know, parts from the Silmarillion and Unfinished Tales that aren't quite exactly the same brought together and then a bit from the history of history of Middle Earth, I believe, as well, turned it into a yeah, full length, seven hour audio well, book, but the audio book is seven hours. And uh for those that don't know, that is read by the wonderful Christopher Lee, uh, who played Saruman in the movies. So that's well worth a listen, that one. <laughs> and then you have Beren and Luthien and the Fall of Gondolin. They're the other two longer tales. And there's bits, uh, you know, bits from the Silmarillion and other papers that have all other writings that have been brought together. But they've actually, they're actually interspersed with, so you get story, but then interspersed with Christopher Tolkien's notes and sort of showing you how the story's changed over time. So you get characters with different names and different happenings in the events in the story. And then uh, Christopher Tolkien's writing uh, come in and explains how it's changed over the many, many years. And then you get the next part that's, oh, how do I put it? Similar sort of shows the story evolving over time. So it's, uh, it's, it's a, what, the successive drafts of the story? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. that's it. Thank you. Yes, and he sort of all brought them together. Uh, and you still, don't get me wrong, you still get the, the story. And as I say, it's interesting to hear that. But it does, if you're expecting a story, it does at times make it a little bit tedious and a bit difficult uh, to get through. Um, even for me, who enjoys hearing more about the process as, as a, an author, it can be a bit challenging to to get through. Yes, because um, what you're really listening to is a story of how a story is written, isn't it? Rather than the actual yeah. story, a kind of a, a mm. screen meta. <laughs> yeah, and um, the nice thing, the way uh, with the audio versions of those books is they have a father and son, Timothy and Samuel West, and Timothy reads the Christopher Tolkien part, and then. His son Samuel reads the actual story that J.R.R. Tolkien's written. So it helps, if you're listening to it, it helps break it up a bit and helps you focus better because you've got two different voices and you're like, okay, this voice does this part. So I think if you're listening to it, you have an advantage over if you were just reading it, it might be even harder to understand at some points. That's a very good point. They also do an excellent job mm. on the unfinished tales where they do a similar yes. thing. Yeah, uh, they do. <laughs> yeah. So another um, – all the audio versions I, I've come across all are pretty good, actually. I've not come mm. across a dud version. I think they offer different pleasures. Mm. So if I was so taking – if I was taking – oh, I haven't. you haven't answered yet the question about which one you'd yeah. like to be treated as a sort of Lord of the Rings-style book, you know, a proper yes. – narrative from the point of view of some characters having an adventure. And I 
I gave that spiel so that people would understand why I'm about to say what I'm about to say. So I would, even though, in a sense, Beren and Luthien is a standalone novel now, it is, but it can't, with, with, with the breaking up of, um, Christopher Tolkien's explanations throughout the story, as opposed to in a prologue or an epilogue or a foreword or whatever you want to call it. Um, it makes it a bit tricky. And I was expecting that it would have been the same, both, uh, would have been both Baron and Luthien and the fall of Gondolin would have been the same as the children of Huron, where it is a standalone novel from cover to cover. Mm. Uh, so I was, you know, I, was really hoping and would have liked Baron and Luthien to be a standalone uh, seven-hour book. The <laughs> uh, once that once the story started, it continues on. And I don't know, maybe there just wasn't for whatever reason as much detail as there was with the Children of Huron, which is why there was a lot of explanation and examples of the different drafts put in. Uh, but still, it it would have been nice. <laughs> Right, I'm going to give a different answer, so mm. that which is good. Mm. I think, having sort of pondered this for a while now, that actually where I would go as a storyteller is I would tell the story of Elrond and Elros and their parents, Erendil <laughs> and Elwing, which it comes at the end of the First Age. Why? Because there's a hostage yeah. story of two children taken hostage by the two mm. remaining sons of Fianor, who are holding them hostage, and there's a fight over a jewels. And it's I won't spoil it because it's got such a dramatic end mm. where, well, it's been out now for quite a few years, so I'm not really spoiling an end. Mm. But I think the actual art story arc of what happens to the the sort of they're not exactly bad guys because they're conflicted. They're not like Melkor, who's just evil. They, they, they're interesting shades of grey bad guys, which make them more interesting. Uh, and Elros and Elrond are the young innocents. They're the like Hobbit-style perspective, which you need in the story to make it relatable. So I think meeting... And they then have the choice themselves between immortality or m- mortal life. I think that whole thing, Tolkien Estate, needs a good novel mm. happy to do it but find someone else if not i think that would make a really mm. really good novel or a good se- series mm. if and people are looking for future places to go because it's so engaging yes and i'm very glad you mentioned that because i'm actually if that was to ever happen i'd actually be quite excited about that because yeah you've got that and then you've got you know all the elros going to numenor and setting all that starting all that and you know get a more in-depth young years of Numenor when it was newly established island and then of course you'll and this would have been really interesting when um of course event because Elros has chosen the path of men and he's mortal so he eventually passes away and I just think you know, to explore that and how Elrond, you know, copes that his brother's gone. That would have just been, wow. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes, uh, yeah. in terms of a novel, you'd probably finish it there, wouldn't you? You could finish it there. Mm. That's like a epilogue with the, the brother dying 
and mm. yeah, some sense of what's to come. Anyway, it's already I've already written this in my head. Um, mm. <laughs> I, I know I know they nice. um, they control everything so fiercely that you know this is just on my wish list. But that's yeah. that's what I would have asked Tolkien to do if he was still with us, or mm. somebody if they let somebody else have a go at it. Um, if they do release mm. the rights at all for the first age um that would be where i would go as a storyteller because it has mm. it brings in the history of the silver reels but at the right at the end of it all when mm. the, when when the when the, when the fate of the silver reels is actually settled anyway yeah i don't i doubt anyone's listening from the tolkien estate but that's what i think her story potential andrew mm. thank you so much for talking this through we always like to end with where in all the fantasy world is the best place for something and on this theme of narrators and stories, I wonder if you've got an idea of where is all, where is the best place to go and listen to a story? Have you ever sort of thought, oh, I'd really love to be in such and such a location and listen to a story told by one of the um, storytellers of legend? While you're thinking about that, I'll give my answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would like to go and there's a very sweet book called The King of the mm. Copper Mountain. It's a Dutch storybook. And it's about an old king who's dying. And every so often there's a knock on the door. And in order to keep him alive, the doctor who's treating him has sent different animals to tell him a tale to keep him happy whilst he looks for the medicine to cure him. But the ones that come are so surprising. You know, there's the more predictable fox and what have you. And then there's a swarm of bees they come to the story. And then there's a dragon a bit out of left field. I think that'd be really yeah. interesting to be with the king of the Copper Mountain waiting to see what animal is going to come through next. Have you got a favorite oh, yeah. place for storytelling? I'll give two. So my last answer was uh, it'd be great to be in Rivendell uh, with the elves and listen to their, listen to the, the epic tales told by Elrondo or one of the other elves over a feast. And the, but I also think another good place would be Care Paravel in Narnia. And I'd certainly like to ask what we don't, what we don't get when reading the Chronicles of Narnia. Well, we sort of do with the horse and his boy, but I'd like to get, ask Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy for more stories of what they did <laughs> what during they did their reign in off. Narnia. <laughs> yeah. Because what did you actually do? You know, yeah, because, yeah. You know, we we hear so much and so much in, especially in a horse and his boy, so much is alluded to, but yeah, we really don't see too much of that. Well, that's a lovely thought. I think I'd also like to ask some of the talking animals to tell their tales from their point of view. That'd be fun. Oh, of course, yes, of course. Yeah, great place. Thank you so much, Andrew, for talking through the Andy Circus reading of the Silmarillion. I think we both are giving it a thumbs up aren't we? Which is nice. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for listening to Mythmakers Podcast, brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, in-person stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide.
Hi, this is Julia Golding. Are you looking for a way to find a gentle beginning to your life as a fantasy writer? Or maybe you're just wanting to brush up your existing skills, but you don't have time to come to a class. Well, we've devised for you the perfect beginner's course. You can find it on our website. The course is full of exciting chapters for you to take at your own pace, starting with packing your bag and setting out on an adventure. And over the course of the lessons, you'll learn to find a hero, gather allies and get under your belt all the basic skills you'll need to write yourself your fantasy story. So why not have a look at this today and see if it suits you? And I look forward to meeting you in our chat room, which comes along with the course. So what are you waiting for? Time to pack your bag and get writing.